floorboards where we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. I am your host, John. Joined as always by my beautiful co-host, Eric. Eric, how are you today? Not so fabulous. However, <laughs> we do have a very special guest in the building. And I that's know. making my morning much better. <laughs> so we are super excited to announce this week's guest, Mr. David fucking Liz. How are you? Woo! I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. And I'm not that hungover. You know, the Super Bowl was yesterday. So I, you know, and I knew I had this uh, podcast with you guys today, so I kept it to a minimum. I partied hard, but I slept good. I hydrated. Check me out right here. An entire gallon. <laughs> Holy working, shit. Working on that. Excited. I think there's more water in that than I've had this week. <laughs> well, David, we're super excited. We're going to talk today about your upcoming film, The Welder. And yeah. it sounds exactly like what you think it is. Yeah. And it is fucking crazy. I was telling you earlier that this is probably the craziest concept I have ever seen in a movie. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but we are starting off, we're going to talk a little bit about one of your favorite horror movies of all time. Which is why I'm repping the Stephen King rules today for those of you Woo! who are listening and have seen this t-shirt plenty of times yes. before. Um, it is clean. It is clean. <laughs> I can smell it. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about why this was your pick, and, and we'll get into a little bit of that. Well, here's the great reveal, the grand reveal. My pick is The Shining, and I absolutely love this film. I saw it uh, as a child, and it's just so creepy the way Kubrick is able to – I mean, these are my, like, initial thoughts. Like, later on, as I got older and – I watched it more times, and I learned about the background, the the making of, the writer's perspective, Stephen King's perspective. Like It just like made me love the film even more. But I just remember being a kid and watching the film and just feeling so creeped out the whole time. Like the way they use music to like move you from scene to scene. And even when you're like at the very be- from the very beginning, when you have that uh, that helicopter shot, right, where they're following the car up the mountain and and uh, and uh, well, actually, at the very beginning, you just see like the landscape. Later on, we see like the whole thing with the car. But regardless, uh, it's it's just so creepy. It's uh, it's a film that kept me feeling scared the entire time, and that's not easy to do in a film. Like I mean, after that, I've seen uh, thousands of films, and there are moments where you feel scared and then there's moments where you chill and you relax. And then there's like kind of like a little bit of a wave up and down going, but this film just kept me tense. And I don't know if it was, I mean, back me now, I, now I kind of have a better understanding, but at the time I didn't know if it was the music. I don't know if it was the acting, the subtext, the, the, the creepy environment, right? The hotel. Um, and then like the metaphysical aspects of it. Like when we talk about, uh, the the ability to 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 feel and to see things and um, the shine right that <laughs> that that the, that's the a, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just a a film that's really left an impression on me. A lot of films don't age well when you watch them as a kid and then you watch them again as an adult. But like this is one of those films where it aged so well, so well, like like fine wine. Uh, even when you compare it to films today, I think, honestly, for me, horror had its heyday, like, in the 70s and the 80s. Like, like that, I, it's, um, I mean, I'm, there are great horror films 
being made today as well. But obviously, the weld yeah, is coming the out. Weld is the weld <laughs> <laughs> But I just love those old, like the feeling of the film of the celluloid, the 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. and like the the weight, like the lack of special or visual effects helps a lot. I mean, I I just I just I'm not a big fan of like watching a film as too many visual effects to takes away. I, I like practical effects. I like it, it, in the welder we don't use any visual effects at all. Like it's all practical. Um, um, I love horror films that are character based. The more you learn about the character, the more you care for them. And when something happens to them, you really are invested. And that's what I, that's what I strive for. I want to be lost in a film. I want to be able to live in the shoes of the character. And, um, the Shining did that for me. It did it so well. It still does that to me. Anytime I it's playing on TV, I have to stop and finish watching it, even if it's halfway. <laughs> well, this is what we're doing for the next two hours now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely one of those movies that I feel like uh, th- there's a lot of subtext throughout the movie, which is kind of what engages a lot of people into stories like this, like you're talking about with like having some sort of investment uh, in these characters. And for me, I think the whole thing is really just an allegory for uh, Stephen King's alcoholism at the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just is. It's a story written about him being an alcoholic writer who is just staying at a hotel because they were talking about how it was the premise of it came from him and his wife staying at a similar hotel in the mountains where they were like the last two guests. For yeah, like six yeah. Months. Um, so t- talk to us a little bit about like, obviously you being a writer as well, like where does the cerebral aspect kind of come in for you for this movie and how does that kind of transpose into what you do? You know, um, going back to that story, when Stephen King staying at the hotel and he was like the last guest before they closed for the winter, I heard him say somewhere that like, as, as, uh, as he was leaving, there was like a group of nuns also leaving the hotel and it made him think, man, even even like God's workers need to leave this place. That's how haunted <laughs> this place must be. There is and, no God here. <laughs> <laughs> like this place is godless. And that kind of like inspired him to write about it. And I think that happens to me a lot as well. Whether I, I might be watching the news or I might be um, going through my just my day, day to day life and. I see something that inspires me and I'm like, man, what if this from a different perspective, what, and like as a writer um, and filmmaker, I just find inspiration in just my everyday life. I mean, sometimes I'll be at a red light and I'll, you know, think to myself, maybe this is my anxiety uh, disorder, but (laughs) it's like, (laughs) what if like I'm, I'm daydreaming and I take my foot off the brake and then like, I go into traffic and then the car hits me and then I roll down, you know, like, (laughs) man, that would be really cool. And then what was I thinking about? Well, maybe what I was thinking about is blah, 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 blah. And so that just leads me into like this train of thought that I then come home as fast as I can and write it down and see how I can use that (laughs) in a movie. That's literally how it happens for me. It's that's actually a very like Bill Burr way of thinking about it because he's literally had those moments where he was talking about how you know you're driving along and it's like you know everything like everything's fine social contract and all that huge tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly uh, right. That's exactly right. 
So in this movie, uh, there was kind of like a groundbreaking style of cinematography because they had just ha- created the uh, the like body suit cameras yeah. to like have the stationary that you can walk with. Yeah, the um, Steadicam, right? Yeah, Steadicam. Um, yeah. So obviously, not only do you direct this, you are also uh, the cinematographer for That's the Welter right. as well, which I got to tell you, very crispy, very Thank crispy you. cinematography Thank in this one. Like a McDonald's Sprite. My <laughs> lovely, lovely. Thank you. Thank you. I, I I take that as a huge compliment, man. Like we really did our best to make this film look as good uh, technically as as we could do it for our budget, for our time frame. You know, we uh, uh, it, you know going back to The Shining, the cinematography is just like one of its many many um, uh, uh, qualities that you just like are are taking in by it. So when I was doing my film, The Welder, I really wanted the cinematography not to be a distraction and in the film because of lack of funds or you know mm. sometimes even lack of knowledge of how to use the equipment and stuff you see a lot of bad cinematography bad sound and mm. we you know that did not want that in this film and uh we did everything we could to get like the best uh gear we could afford to to make it to make it look uh, the way it does and the Steadicam was used a lot. Well, we actually we used the Ronin stabilizer quite a bit. And it it comes with a bodysuit. It's actually called the Easy Rig. It's, I like to call it the Scorpion Rig because it has like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> However, now on the first day, I'm using it and I find myself so limited by it. The good thing about this equipment is that it um, helps you support the weight of the camera and the gimbal, which is quite heavy, especially when you're just holding it like this in front of you, you know, mostly using just like your shoulders or what it starts to burn after a while. Um, <laughs> but it was so limiting. So I said to my, uh, my assistant camera, screw it. I'm not going to use this thing. Take it off. I I'm going to suffer just like my characters are going to suffer. I'm going to hold it. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I, uh, somehow I was able to do it and in hundred degree weather, hundred percent humidity, an hour south of Miami, it was it was quite a difficult, difficult task, but it was worth it because I wanted to make sure I had flexibility when I was trying to get these shots. These I wanted to get the smoothness in. It was that was very, very um, important to me. But going back to The Shining, uh, it was it's interesting. That's one of the first uh, films to use Steadicam. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Rocky one was also one of the first movies to use Steadicam, which is I think the same. The guy who created Steadicam, uh, for um, I'm trying to remember, I think Rocky uh, Rocky came first, seventy six. Mm-hmm. So I I believe uh, The Shining was eighty, if I'm not mistaken, or it was eighty one. Now I I think it was eighty. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so actually Rocky was first, and um, but they perfected it on The Shining. Uh, I mean, it's it looks like the film is like the camera's floating. And if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the first films too to use a gimbal on a helicopter um, for those shooting shots. So it's like it's like a drone, right? But like on a helicopter and <laughs> huge, expensive. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine. Please don't drop this. It's the <laughs> yeah. only one that we have. <laughs> oh, literally at that time, yeah. It's still attached to Kubrick. He's just hanging <laughs> from that. <laughs> I'd love to meet the guy who patented the yeah. steady cam though, because that man is just fat for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He he fucking he made it. <laughs> Apparently he was like a seven foot tall dude 
So that's why, like, when you see, like, um, the Steadicam shot in Rocky, when he's, like, going up the stairs, like, the camera's always pointing down. Because, you know, Sylvester Stallone's, like, not very tall, and, you know, he has to, like, <laughs> point the, the camera down. And he was, you, and this guy was a beast. Uh, he had a car battery rigged to this thing to power it. And so he has to, like, run alongside Sylvester Stallone when they're, like, running, like, you know, doing all the running training scenes. So, like, I mean, the guy was quite a bit. I'm sure he's very uh, rich and fat right now, and he deserves to be. I was saying, I bet the assistant director on that, carrying that car battery, was probably fit as fuck, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sweat on that, on that movie. <laughs> By the time uh, The Shining came along, I'm sure it had been refined and perfected. And, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the shots are just... Uh, whenever you see Danny like on his little bicycle or tricycle or whatever going through um, mm-hmm. through the hotel and it's just like these long shots and he's just you perfect. see like Kubrick like on his knees behind <laughs> again again well, we're like, only by take eighty behind this <laughs> yeah man no, yeah, I think he treated the kid really well like uh, I mean um, comparatively to the rest yeah. of the cast <laughs> yeah. Right. One, of, one of my favorite um, things about this movie is kind of like these weird little fun facts about this movie. There's a lot of theories and shit that people may or may not buy into and that sort of thing. My favorite, though, is the world record for the most takes of a scene is the okay. the kitchen scene going mm-hmm. into the freezer. I think it was 148 takes. Holy <laughs> God. And the idea from in Kubrick's perspective, the more I beat these actors down psychologically and making they're going to appear more weary and it's going to create a scene. It's going to create a shot that you wouldn't be able to get on that first or second take that visibly distraught feeling, you know, the dude who um, plays the manager actually like can't talk about that, that this movie without tearing up because it was such an experience. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like dramatically speaking on his body and on his brain and everything. And I think that's kind of what makes Kubrick cool. Right. Because you hear similar stories from a clockwork orange and Mm -hmm. other films that he's done and that kind of thing. So, well, that's why Shelley Duvall fucking left acting after this movie, because she was so fucking beat Uh down and like, Jack Nicholson can hang, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> this is the same guy who like approached Heath Ledger and was like, "Hey, you should probably check yourself in somewhere for a little bit after doing this." I'm saying that from personal experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's uh, psychologically I heard that set was just very 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 difficult. I mean, on top of the fact that, you know, uh, I think that Kubrick is never going to go down in history as a guy who uh, went under budget and under ske- like and 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 um, finished on schedule. He always went over budget. He always exceeded the schedule uh, because of his excessive takes. And I think I forget who it was. Might have been Robert Duvall or something. They were um, I forget what movie he was initially cast in. It might have been Eyes Wide Shut or uh, who knows. Anyway, yeah, Kubrick was actually uh, still editing that while working on Eyes Wide Shut. Right. Oh, oh, was he? I really. I thought. I. Well, Eyes Wide Shut was like in the nineties, though. Like uh, late nineties. So, Tom Cruise was this. This was like one of those cuts that didn't get released because he was still so enthralled with this movie that he was still working on it. Yeah. Oh wow. No crazy. Yeah. I mean, they asked that. So the actor tells him, "What? I mean, I've done this however many times. What are you looking for? You know." 
because he uh, apparently Kubrick didn't like to give direction. He just said, "Let's go again," and Kubrick's answer was <laughs> another one. <laughs> yeah, no, he's his his answer was, "I'll I'll know when I see it." So isn't that interesting? <laughs> this man who like is known for making some of the best films in cinematic history, and he was not like right. really yeah. sure what he wanted, mm-hmm. like. The, the insecurity, the uh, is 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 I and I always say that you know us filmmakers we're just like cursed with insecurities. We just don't we we people see a film and it's all put together and it's a result of just being so morbidly insecure that you just try everything you can <laughs> to figure <laughs> out how to put this thing together. Because it's dangerous as an artist to take something from your brain and turn it into reality for your. It's dangerous for your ego, I should say. If it's not perfect. It's a flawed creation, and what was the point at the beginning, right, of even starting, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and that's that's exactly right. Um, I will say that you don't want to put out anything that's subpar because, for example, for me, uh, it's my first film. I wanted it to be as perfect as it could be, and because, I, I you know, I want it to be successful. I want people to watch it and enjoy it, uh, and... Now I'm thinking for my next film, it needs to be even better than the first one because otherwise, then you know, it was just a one, like yeah. a, a one, one hit, hit wonder or whatever. I don't know. Like you know, there's always that like insecurity. There's always that like you want to put out the best possible thing. You don't, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it, I guess it is an ego thing. Maybe I see I should see a psychologist. You know, I, <laughs> trying to understand myself. Maybe that's what all artists are trying to do, right? Just understand themselves. I, I, I can say that as a musician, man. I mean, that it's very real. It, it's it's um, you're often making a saleable product when you're doing these things. This isn't just for fun and here it is for free. The world and everything, you know, have fun, right? It it rarely has anything to do with that for its own sake. We're still trying to make money at the end of the day, right? We're still, <laughs> yeah. We're still trying to build a little bit of a legacy. I mean, we want our stuff to be loved, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's a big thing. And so taking it, like I said, from your head and turning it into reality is is uh, kind of a critical first step, I think, you know. Definitely. And we're definitely feeling a lot of love from our patrons right now. So if you're not subscribed to our Patreon right now, which is only $3 a month for all of these exclusive interviews, including with David Liz right now, again, thank you so much for being on our show. Do My it. pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to talk movies with you guys and chat about The Welder and just hang out, you know? Yeah, and also I know that you said you might need a therapist. Um, we are not that, but we are free. Just nice. not for our patrons. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Plug for less than the cost of therapy. You can subscribe. <laughs> to her. Yeah. I'll take any help I can get. <laughs> um, so anyways, getting diving right back into yeah. it, you know, uh, what do you kind of feel like when you're on set? You know, you're, we're talking a lot about how Kubrick kind of takes his directorial approach or lack thereof in some instances, where do you kind of find yourself when you're on set and you're trying to get an actor to fall into the character, not in the way that they've perceived it, but in the way that you've designed it? Because you're also, you know, the writer. So there's a yeah. lot of your soul going into it, too, and what you feel like these characters are supposed to be. Definitely. Um, I will say I'm not like uh, I'm not uh, so married to to the script like a Tarantino would be. Um, or, or even Kubrick, um, I, I'm, I'm married, I'm not married to the dialogue as long as it makes sense. 
I want it to feel natural coming out of our actors. And obviously, when you're writing the the dialogue, you want you you um you envision it natural, but there and you're trying to envision a voice for each character. But at the end of the day, you're seeing it from your singular perspective. Now, when you start entering or bringing in actors with their perspectives, their upbringing, their background, their all that, they're bringing that to the character. So I'm cool with them saying the line slightly different if if they um if it feels natural to them so i'm not like this like script nazi <laughs> do it the way i say or you're fired or the, like uh i really say the fucking line <laughs> yeah i really want the I, I i uh i create an environment for the actors to explore to ad lib um I like to do multiple takes. I, I mean, not, not to the extent. I can't afford to do as many as Kubrick, <laughs> but I could do a few. You know, I think uh, what like the most takes we did uh, on the welder was like thirteen, mm-hmm. which was actually the final shot of the movie which i won't say what it is but mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure we got that right because you guys should be watching it on february 24th on yeah. tubi and amazon yeah <laughs> um by the way tubi had a great commercial on the super bowl didn't they? i noticed yeah. <laughs> we high five. coming up we're big yeah. tubi guys. we're we're, we're yeah. big into tubi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well i just uh, think that's a great platform for especially for independent makers now you know what I mean? Like it's it's really cool to be able to like see you guys thrive on these platforms. It's so accessible to audiences because you don't have to pay for anything. You can just jump in and see a movie, you know, and that's awesome. great. <laughs> yeah, I love Tubi. I love them so much. Um, they've been coming up for a few years, and it's it's great that like they're starting to get like the attention of more more mainstream and, and bringing mainstream viewers to uh, an indie platform and indie uh, filmmakers. Uh, platform so it, I, I love it i love it really i'm glad they exist <laughs> and you can watch inception on it you know what i mean like yeah you, yeah, yeah. You have exactly. the whole spectrum yeah. <laughs> at your fingertips yeah. it's awesome <laughs> um but yeah so like i guess uh i have a story about me on set working with an actor right so we uh were like on day three and camila who plays elisa She's amazing. She's this uh, wonderful actress down here in Miami. Uh, we found her basically by luck because we saw her in a um, in a screening for a film called Huracan at the Miami Film Festival. And we're like, we like this girl. We we need to get a hold of her. We need to see how we can put her in the film. And uh, through serendipity and just uh, blind luck, we were able to get her. Anyway, so on like the third day... We had overstayed our welcome at our filming location because we'd been filming there for like 14 (laughs) or 15 hours. And we were on like the last shot of the day, which happened to be a particularly emotional scene for her. And she was quite nervous about performing this scene. So she had been rehearsing it all day, like, you know, in in the green room. Um, So when the time comes to finally perform, the scene is set. We've taken all day to build this, uh, and this is our like we're about to get kicked out of our location. We have no time to spare. Camila comes up to me and says, "I can't do it. Like I have nothing left. I've been rehearsing the scene all day, and I just 
have nothing left to give. And I'm like, as a director, you know, I'm like, like I've been also carrying the camera all day, so I'm like mentally and physically exhausted. You're just like looking at her through the camera. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and I say to myself, oh my goodness, what the hell are we gonna do? So, actually, in that moment, I don't know, it just came to me. I I told her, you know, Camila, your character is exhausted in this moment. She has nothing left to give in this moment. Use it. Like, this is actually perfect. You need to use that feeling of emptiness, of, of nothingness, and create something from it. And I guess that sparked, that gave What's her, like, motivation yeah. we found along yeah. the way. <laughs> and she gave such a great, great performance. Mm. So it's, um, it's, it's, it, it's so much fun working with actors and trying to get them emo like to the right emotional point and even if they've gone beyond it there's always ways to reel them back in and um it's i mean i feel like any director should go to school for psychology and before they go into for real like it's just so such a mental game so you're trying to you're trying to get these talented individuals to become somebody else and we're doing it out of order because no, like at least the way I film, we're not filming in order. Most films are not filmed in order, as you guys know. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hear Tarantino does film in order, but uh, that's amazing and very rare. And Which it's is crazy because his movies are always like out of order. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's also just kind of like an enigma a little bit because he's also <laughs> the same person that called Jamie Foxx a slave on set. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, no man. I love hearing stories about Tarantino and like how he like works. He's just like he's a maverick and he's <laughs> just crazy. And I mean, he's kind of earned the right to be a little bit, right? I mean, he made Reservoir Dogs. You can do whatever you want after that. Yeah, literally, literally. Y'all remember that episode of Jimmy Neutron when he was in there? There was a dude that was supposed to be uh, Quentin Tarantino. Like, they did a character of Tarantino and put him in an episode of Jimmy Neutron. Anyway. I gotta look that up. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> it's he's it's actually just Jimmy Neutron with a slightly bigger forehead. <laughs> so me. <laughs> Uh, so they're, uh, watching The Welder and actually uh, watching The Shining, uh, I noticed there were a lot of uh, psychological parallels, and I might just be reading too much into it, uh, between uh, Jack Nicholson's character and uh, Vincent, or, and Vincent's character as well. Uh, yeah. Am I just pushing that on there, or is there something that you want to talk about just with his character in general? You know, uh, Vincent's character, William Godwin, he... Um, is a character that has been hurt by life. He's been pushed over the edge. And because of his abilities, you know, Dr. William Godwin, he's he's able to use that in a way, use his abilities in a way that will um, help mankind. So... It, it, <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> in, in his... In his uh, from his perverted perspective, right? And... I think that to be able to play a character that goes through that journey requires like you to get as an actor, you to really, um, I don't know, I guess take note from some of the more notable crazy 
characters in film history. So when I told Vince about this character, I told him, look, we need to watch a few movies where they, the character goes crazy. And The Shining, which is one of my favorites, we sat down together, we watched the film, and I was pointing out, like, look how, it, like, the progression. But even from the very beginning, Jack Nicholson's character is already unlikable a little bit. Like, he's, <laughs> like, when they're driving up to the, to the, to the hotel, like, um, there's, like, a scene where Danny's like, oh, I'm hungry, and then, like, Jack Nicholson looks, like, bothered, and he's like, oh, you should have eaten better or more or whatever like, I mean, there's there's like scenes like that like even from the very beginning he's like not all there and i think that vincent does that as well like when you first meet him you know that even though he's trying to put up a front he's you know he's he's covering something up and and as the film progresses the mask starts to crack and you start seeing <laughs> who he, he really is and um, I think what Vinton does well in this film is that he, there are moments where he seems to be covering up his craziness quite well. Mm. And then there are scenes where it's not covered up very well, so it, which, is, which is, it's like, it, it, it's that dynamic that keeps you sort of like guessing, like what's, what's, you know, what's going on with this guy and, and what, why is he, I mean, he, he's so strange. He's so weird. Um, and I think he's he played like that really well. White guy ever, <laughs> like he's he's the one who's like uncomfortably white. Yeah, yeah. And you know the thing about Vince is that this is his first horror film. He has been playing the dad uh, on Christmas movies and like uh, 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 Hallmark movies for like the last ten years. He's always the dad, the middle aged dad that like. Uh, is is always there to support and love and it's like it's like that cue the that full house theme song like yeah. <laughs> he was like the mr rogers of of these of these uh movies shawl so, colors and he's, windex he's, <laughs> he's the fucking indie rogers that's so good <laughs> yeah so bring him into uh into a horror film with that background makes him even like appear even weirder you know, I, I, I'm like, man, this is kind of like perfect. It's like the last 10 years you've been training how to act like a creepy white guy. You know, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I also brought sandwiches for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of, um, and we can talk about this if you'd like to, but I would like a little bit of your perspective on, uh, I'm a big dialogue guy myself and, my favorite scene in the welder that's not necessarily uh, the more horror driven as far as like, you know, practical effects and X, Y, Z. Um, but the dinner that they had oh, was, yeah. it was one of those moments where it was as funny as it was unsettling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a great scene. Uh, we love that scene. Actually that scene was added in like towards the end of the writing process. Cause we felt like we needed something more to, to, um, look at this. I'm actually getting a call. Vincent must know that we're talking about him because uh, let me see. you can't even see it. Let me see it. He's calling me right now. Uh, is, Hi, is it getting close? <laughs> I'm not even going to answer. Uh, I'll, I'll call you back Vince. I promise. <laughs> um, that scene, uh, it came from a place of trying to get to know 
William Godwin's psychology a little bit more. And I think that we are we're also trying to like see the perspectives of like because this is like kind of like the one scene where the political message is like kind of like spread on a little thicker, um, which was very difficult in general to tell a story about a social issue without being too preachy. So like one of the issues that I have a lot of times with films, whether they be horror or any other genre, the talk about social issues as they either go too thick or they go too thin. Mm-hmm. So you either miss the message completely or you feel like you're being preached to. And, uh, you know, I was trying to go somewhere in the middle. Like I was trying to like make sure you knew what we were talking about. But also, I didn't want to feel like I was on a pulpit. And so I feel like in this scene, it's the one in general, be, uh, uh, aside from this scene, we we hint at certain things. But this is the one scene where we really like go into it and like talk about each one's perspective on, you know, they talk about a little. I'll give you guys a little bit of a, of a spoiler where like they talk about like what's going on on the news, like the radio's playing and they talk about what's going on on the news and they uh they talk about like the uh, ICE officers are trying to like you know get the the Latinos on the border and mm-hmm. uh, all this stuff and then they start talking about like how race in America it doesn't go too preachy I, I I don't want people to think that like this moment turns into like a some kind of like Jesse Jackson uh, or, or Al Sharpton <laughs> speech or something like that but it, it I definitely think it does. I, yeah, I really yeah. don't think it does. I think, like I said, it, it gets a little comedic at one yeah. point, you know, because you have the white guy that sits down and he's like, you know what, brother? Black lives matter. And he's like, yeah, yeah dude, black lives do matter. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely pandering. He's definitely pandering a little bit. Um, but he actually believes it. And the character actually, like, believes that, you know, obviously if when you continue to watch the film, you realize, oh, man, he, he really does because look at the things he's doing. Uh, <laughs> but but it definitely comes off as like a little bit weird and fun. And, and we like there's that uh, one uh, part at the end where where Godwin asks one of the characters what his blood type is. And like you kind of like hear it like <laughs> off camera, but it's it's kind of like weird. Like what, what what is he asking that for? And I mean, so it, it, it in that moment, there's like a few moments of little of camp and it's it's uh, it's kind of fun. Do you think it's important to flirt with that line in horror? I know this is your first film, but do you think that there has to be that like comedic element? That's part yeah. of what makes the genre so great. I agree. I yes, I absolutely do. I think comedy needs to be in, uh, included in any genre. Yeah. I love a film that doesn't take itself too seriously. I've seen so many horror films where it's just like one note the whole yeah. time, and sometimes it works, but Sometimes it just becomes monotonous. I like to see a little bit of variety um, because it, in general, most people are not one note people. They they ha- they fluctuate, mm-hmm. and that become you become more relatable when you can tell a story where your characters also fluctuate emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. I just uh, I I can relate to that. Any any. Any movie, any series that you watch that's successful, the main character is funny, or, uh, but also can be serious or a badass and whatever it is. Like that, but there, there's always a little bit of comedy, and I and I, I enjoy that very much. I feel like to me, like 
whenever like I started getting bored of like of many years ago. I haven't watched these movies in forever now. But like the, when the Marvel movies were like in their heyday and like we were mm-hmm. having, you know, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I'm like, man, this is great because it's funny. Uh, mm-hmm. It like gave me like a refreshing. Uh, you know, I, I, the other ones were a little bit, but anyways, like to me, like that just, maybe that's not a great example, but it's, um, it's just an example to show that when you are talking about a, when your main topic of conversation in a film is he- as heavy as a social issue, you need to be able to laugh a little bit throughout and, and just kind of like feel at ease about yourself. Otherwise you're just going to be uncomfortable and I don't want people to feel that kind of uncomfortable. I want them to feel a different kind of uncomfortable. There's certainly, <laughs> there's certainly some discomfort in like being expected from a director or a filmmaker to feel one emotion for an entire 90 minute hour and 45 movie. You know what I mean? So I yeah. totally get it. I think the guardians example is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. What was a, what was a moment like, you know, on the, on the comedic aspect of this where you were filming from the other side and, you just kind of thought to yourself, like, oh, my God, I literally wrote that. And that's so fucking funny. Like, what, what was a moment that was kind of like, not even like immersion breaking, but just kind of like a snap back into just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, you know what? There's actually a scene that was cut from the movie that was pretty funny. Yeah. And I love that scene. And anytime anybody watched that, they laughed quite a bit. They, it was like the funniest, probably the funniest thing in the whole movie. But we had to cut it. Because there were some parts of that scene, I wanted to keep the funny parts, but there were we couldn't we couldn't keep it in because there were parts of the scene that dragged a little bit and didn't have a payoff um, because we ended up cutting something else later on. Anyways, to make a long story short, it was so funny, and I could talk about it because it's not in the in the movie, and it's nice. a scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scene like right after uh, right after uh, Elisa and Ro meet. Godwin for the first time and they're making their way to the stable so like the film the way it cuts now is they meet him and immediately we're at the stables but the way it was before we have them walking through the property we wanted to show how big the property was and they're having a conversation and part of the conversation is like oh I hope they don't like you know I hope these horses are like you know big stallions uh, you know, I want to like, you know, have a, a good time riding the horses, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, cut to the beginning part of the stable scene and Ro is given like a pony. And it was uh, like the way like, the way it was edited. It was funny. He's like, oh, hell no. This thing. Like, uh, I didn't pay all this money to come ride this pony or whatever. <laughs> and Godwin's like. It's this way. Come this way, or whatever. <laughs> we'll anyway. get you a bigger horse. <laughs> <laughs> a bigger horse. <laughs> and we kind of get a little bit of that later on in that same scene when he's riding the horse and he's like unable to ride. Anyways, I don't want to go too. That, that's that doesn't ruin anything. It's just kind of like a, a little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So, and so again, trying to tiptoe on some stuff. There is. Um. And I, I really hate comparing other people's movies to other movies because sure. you know it's it's definitely its own concept like i said it's very original um but i think it helps the our listeners too a little bit with like comparative elements um yeah. so i would like to talk a little bit if you can about um i think it's don's character yes um because i got a lot of get out 
vibes yeah. from him, which I thought was really cool. I think it pushed that cerebral aspect that you're getting between him and Vincent's character, uh, right. uh, Godwin, a little bit more. So do you want to talk on that a little bit? Definitely. So uh, Don, played by Christian Howard, such a nice guy. Uh, the fact that we even found him uh, in Miami was uh, a miracle, really, because he he's the he was like the perfect person for the role. Um, he's really his character is is definitely a nod to Igor of the Frankenstein. Oh, lights turned off. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Of the Frankenstein story. Lights out. <laughs> it was nice to have. <laughs> yeah, for real. And he's he was just um his character is is uh Christian's dedication to the character was really impressive. So as you know from watching the film, there's something wrong with Don's arm. I'm not gonna go into that, but Christian wanted to make sure that he felt like there was something wrong with his arm. So he found the biggest boulder that he could carry with one hand. And he carried it in that hand the entire time we were filming. He would only set it down right before his scenes. I mean, the dedication. He would hide. We would have to, like, go out and find him because he would try to isolate <laughs> himself, like, in the, in the, in the, in the trees, um, just so that he could really get into the mindset of this character. Uh and then just like the voice, like the inflection, the way he plays the character is really, uh, really cool. But definitely the film is we, we uh, Manny and I, the writers, we love the film Get Out. We thought that film was brilliantly done. It really Jordan, Jordan um, Peele is just an amazing writer and director. And the way he was able to take on the social issue of racism and. Uh, in that film without it feeling corny or, you know, just like really tiptoeing on that balance beam between telling a story that was meaningful and, and beautifully told and well done and scary. And then also having the social issues be like a main character without it being corny. It was just like, what a brilliant director. And I mean, after, after, get out he did you know uh, uh the other films he's done, i think uh what was the uh, nope which i thought was great mm -hmm. um what's the other one with the uh forget the uh There's also us us and, yeah yeah uh, that one was that one was really good too um yeah he's great he's great he's really kind of stepped into his own mold and i've watched some of the interviews that he's had and it's really cool mm -hmm. that he's always been such a big horror guy yeah. And it's funny because, like, I, you know, know him and Keegan-Michael Key from uh, being on Mad TV mm -hmm. growing up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's how they got their start, and that's how they met each other. But it's like, ultimately, this dude's actually just a horror buff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and Key and Peele, man, what a well-written show, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's funny, too, because, like, I feel like when you watch one of his movies, it's actually, like those comedic elements really don't shine through for his movies. You know, there's, there's the ironic, uh, kind of comedy that he'll do. Like, as far as like, uh, get out is a really good example of that where right. it's like, it's not funny because of the way he's writing it. It's funny because it's all situational, mm -hmm. you know, right. he's attacking, you know, the, the racial divide and all that kind of stuff. Very much like what you're doing in this movie. I think, uh, get right. out is probably a really good comparison yeah. Um, at the end of the day for it. 
But for our listeners, like, how would you classify this, like, in a in a horror subgenre? Because there's a lot of elements that are going on in here. But if you had to bottleneck it, what would you what would you tell people that it is? <laughs> this is hard, man. I don't know. Like, I've had this question before, and I just it's hard for me to pinpoint because Terror Films, my distributor, says that this is a true horror film. I I want to agree with them, but there's some other elements at play here that elements of drama, elements of thriller. Um, it's it's difficult to pinpoint. I mean, if I were to, you know, if somebody was to twist my arm, I'd say it's a, a horror thriller mm-hmm. um, with elements of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me. I see this more as like a character uh, study. That's that's what I I, I the the movie it has very few characters in it, so you get to learn a lot about uh, the main characters and um, you get to care about them. You get to see what they've gone through, and uh, that's what I like about films with few characters. You get to really understand them, uh, and and when you are making a character study type film, it's hard to pinpoint really what kind of film is it because there's so many layers to somebody's personality, mm-hmm. um, just like we were talking about earlier. But again, if you got to twist my arm, I'd say horror thriller. And I definitely get that because I, I, that's actually something I was having trouble with when I watched the movie was I was like, I don't know really where to put it because yeah. for me, it was like, okay, there's the slasher elements. There's the creature feature elements. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. – there was a lot going on and it was – sorry, I, I, I fucking loved this movie. I'm trying not to spoil it for everybody. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Yeah, absolutely. It, it 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 was it was a lot of fun, and I'm really excited for people to be able to watch this. Um, but what was what was probably that you can talk about? You don't have to put it to a character, but sure. what was your favorite uh, practical effect that you got to use? Oh man, what? First of all, the practical effects, um, they were done by this duel here in Miami. Uh, Emilio, which um, I have him in my phone as Emilio, <laughs> uh, and Tony, they were like these guys. They're like special effects gurus in town, and whenever Halloween comes around, they um, do a bunch of haunted houses. So um, I found out about these guys, and Tony has me over to his house, and he leads me into his garage, and it's basically like a museum of uh, fake heads and limbs and uh all sorts of like cool uh and like the he he um he molds them after his he has his friends come over and so he molds them like he, he'll get like a like a, a friend of his who's like overweight so he gets he gets a fat leg and then you have like a skinny friend <laughs> come over he gets fat. a skinny leg <laughs> he wants to have a leg or an arm of every type you know it's crazy it's a He's he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. And then Emilio, he's like this amazing painter. He's been painting since he was like five years old. So he really has an eye for um, design. And actually, hold on here. Check this out. Oh, man, I don't know if you're going to be able to see it because of the blur. But he designed this really cool T-shirt that has 
Oh, oh my God. That's great. bad yeah. as fuck. Yeah. It's like the Vitruvian man, but uh, yeah. can so see it better. So where do we get that? Yeah. <laughs> you, I, I got to send you guys a, a, a t-shirt so you can see it. Man, Ow. I wish you guys could see it. Hold on. Let me see. How do I turn this blur thing off? Well, they, they can kind of yeah. see it. Yeah. Anyway. That's so hot. <laughs> point is that these guys are just super artistic dudes. And uh, when it came time to give them a list of the effects we wanted to do, uh, again, you know, low budget film, we needed to do these effects practically and we didn't know if we could afford to do them. So I was like, okay, uh, Tony, we got to do this and we got to do that. And it was like this list of like 10 things or whatever it was. And, and he gave us the, like, he almost did it for free. He loved it so much. He loved the concept so much. We basically just paid for like the, um, materials and, you know, just a couple bucks for them to be on set with us. I mean, they were they were just so nice, so so uh, amazing to work with. I think for me, um, the uh, let me see. Well, whenever the welder's working, uh, and he's like, you know, doing his thing, like just like Probably. some of the you know, <laughs> separation of a limb or so, you know, that that was that was a, a lot of fun and <laughs> get that to look right and to get like the the blood squirting and stuff like that was that was you it know. was hardcore yeah it was fucking hardcore yeah. uh, that was you know obviously not to get into the scene uh but this but the cinematography in that scene specifically was just fucking chef's kiss like thank you thank you <laughs> between the sparks and the blood that you're talking about like yeah, it, yeah. it was like watching a fucking it was like a tylenol fever dream it was yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. No, yeah, that was that was so much fun. We really wanted to um, we really wanted to show. OK, so as you can tell in the film, we use these effects sparingly. We we want them to have power. Mm -hmm. So there's always like this build up to it. So then when you see it, it's like, what? <laughs> um, and I'm a I'm a fan of gore. Don't get me wrong, but there is some oh, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> but, but when you use it too much in a film, you become like, like desensitized to it, yeah. and mm -hmm. it becomes like, it, it, in my opinion, it loses its power. So, I'm a fan of using it little, like not too much, so that when you do see it, it's like, wow. Um, and I think that's part of it. You know, the buildup is so important. Not to circle back around to The Shining, but it's kind of that same concept, right? The the elevator, the twins, the explosive moments are more explosive because they've been there's been so much like like you put it at the very beginning of this conversation, this air of creepiness in yes. every single room that you just are a little bit on edge and then it happens, right? And it's yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. I mean it's like it's like the foreplay. You know, you yeah. gotta you, you gotta have the foreplay what otherwise. The fuck is foreplay? <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the guests will know what that is. <laughs> our listeners certainly won't. <laughs> I feel like if you listen to our podcast, it's because you don't know what foreplay is. <laughs> we found our market. <laughs> oh, okay. What do I love? Steve, Stephen King and blood. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, it, I feel like, you know, you were talking earlier, um, again, just coming back to The Shining for a yeah. second is, you know, you really love my uh, computer was telling me something for some reason. Uh, but, you know, you, you have 
you know, this very small cast and crew at the end of the day, how, I mean, obviously we talked about how Kubrick deals with, you know, that level of intimacy. Uh, what, what do you feel like is kind of like that connection that you kind of make with, because you're making it with the actors, you're not making it with the characters, because you've already made the connection with the characters, you wrote the motherfucker. Like, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But what, what kind of, uh, I guess, environment do you kind of cultivate with, with your actors the way that they would in The Shining, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely my approach is very different than Kubrick's approach. Um, I, I see a huge value in what Kubrick did, but it was at the expense of the mental health of his actors. And, you know, I, um, when I went to film school many years ago, one of my directing teachers said something that never left me. And, um, he was referring to safety, but I think that can, it can be applied in, you know, a lot of different, uh, areas of filmmaking. And it's when, when it comes to making films where, where, just make, making a movie, we're not saving lives. And um, <laughs> in other <laughs> words, uh, when it comes, to, you know, where it's not that it's not that important um, to ruin somebody's mental health or uh, to, you know, I I think at the end of the day, I want my actors to go home and and be okay and and um, live a happy life and uh, you know. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'll just be mentally destroyed yeah. from yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I have become <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've become like really good friends with all the cast and crew on my sets I, I love these people to death like on set we we really had each other's backs um, everybody I say like when we did the welder we shot it in nine days of principal photography which is quite short for a feature film wow and how do you do that? Well, you just don't sleep, right? You just uh, <laughs> stay up 15, 16, 18 hours one day, um, back to back. And um, when you have these sleep-deprived actors and crew members, you are obviously more liable to be in a bad mood or to um, just be cranky or whatever. We didn't have one minute of that on the set of The Welder. Mm -hmm. Everybody was, like, it felt like everybody was just so happy to be there. Everybody wanted to be there. Everybody was just helping us out. We were getting help from, like, people that didn't even, like, need to help us. We, um, on the set where we, where we rented the house, that was, like, a three-acre property. It belonged to the loveliest old couple, the Coppolos. And they're like in their 90s and they're just like the nicest, you know, most beautiful people. And they have two sons and their sons didn't have to help us, but they wanted to be like on set. And they helped us build uh, one of the one of the sets we had. Like, we had just everybody just wanted to help one like the next door neighbors. Like they're the ones where that le they lent us their horses. And it's just hmm. the most amazing serendipity. Like. It was like being on a production where even though things were happening, the solutions were presented to us immediately. And because uh, a lot of bad things happened, like just because we had a good time on set didn't mean that uh, we didn't come across challenges. As a matter of fact, we came across a lot of challenges. So many that I was I was telling Manny, I'm like, man, we should write a book about the making of this film because we just it's Do like it. Murphy's Law was in full effect. 
<laughs> from getting our gear stolen three days before mm. yeah to um the production vehicle not starting on the first day of productions we had to like load up all the gear into three cars uh to one of our actors getting arrested uh the day before we were supposed to start shooting uh i mean I, i'm telling you it was it, that that's it's almost just, a little too in character <laughs> <laughs> tip of the iceberg man tip of the iceberg and it's the character you would think um uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's messed up man it's it's like dude like this is exactly why we're making this movie damn it oh you're really motivated black lives matter <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, uh, I, I went on a tangent here, but uh, the, the the environment I try to cultivate on set is that of peace, of uh, 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 listening to each other, and like just being very collaborative and 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 hearing inputs from. I, I'm a big fan of just listening to the actors, like how they perceive the scene, how they want to play it out, and if it if it makes sense with within the, <laughs> the confines of the story and the plot, then I'm super open to allowing them to experiment with that. What was a, like a moment where that was like your favorite thing that somebody brought to you? Um, let's see, you know, Vince was really good at, um, sort of rewriting on, on, on the mo like in the moment. And I didn't memorize my lines. This is all yeah. off the top. <laughs> I, it pissed me off a little bit at first. Uh, but then I was like, well, you know, like some of the things he's saying are cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Dad. I, I, I can't think of, I can't pinpoint a, a specific moment. I just remember thinking, man, Vince is uh, doing a lot of ad-libbing. He's, we would still do a take with, um, with the regular lines, but it just, uh, at some point it just became like, okay, I, I'm enjoying this because it's giving us the ability to experiment. And that's really what you want as a filmmaker. You want to see if 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 somebody else's perspective will work better than yours. And and like I I try not to have an ego on set. You know that ego that's built into all of us. I try not to have it on set. I I really think it's detrimental in collaborative things like this because sometimes you're just wrong and that's okay. Sometimes somebody else is right. And just because you're the director doesn't mean that you're gonna uh that you're like this all seeing you know, uh, all knowing ambivalent thing, person creation that knows better than everybody else. I'm, I'm not like that at all. And so it's just, it happened quite f frequently on set. So I just really in my, right at this moment, I can't think of a specific moment, but I, but I, but it did happen a lot on set, like where, where the actors would just, you know, uh, make something up. And I just said, yes, Let's run with it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the genre, like the indie scene, kind of lends itself to more collaborative efforts like that? Um, I think so because whenever you're working for a big studio, a lot of times you you have like the executives telling you what to do. Uh, you have to deliver the product to them, and um, they're expecting a certain thing, and if you don't deliver that, then they're not going to be pleased, and it's in in indie. Yeah, you can experiment a lot more, right? Because there aren't these all like there aren't these uh these uh, uh slave drivers or whatever you want to call them, <laughs> uh, forcing you to tell a story that you don't want to tell. 
So um, I believe so. Yeah, Indy, Indy is the place to play. To play. I hope that I can continue to live in the Indy world for a long time because I, I really do enjoy. Like this is what I enjoy doing: filmmaking. I've been doing video and film since I was a little kid, and I always joke around that if there was ever a zombie apocalypse, I'd be one of the first to die because the only thing I know how to do is do <laughs> movies and do videos. Even though this is my first feature film, I've done a ton of short films that have done, you know, gone to festivals and and like you know won awards and music videos. Like I can't even count how many music videos I've done in my life and. Uh, all sorts of other kinds of videos, like corporate videos and stuff like that. This is all I know how to do, fellas. This is all I'm interested in doing. So you're so, on like Facebook Live running away from the zombie horde. Hold on, I gotta get this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I would never film it on my phone. I'd have to have the red camera. You know, I'd have to have my boom operator with me. I'm not gonna post anything you're on like Facebook two. Live. <laughs> not good quality. Yeah. Stop running so fast. <laughs> all right, can we do it again, guys? <laughs> I need this zombie to take three steps back <laughs> or we're going to get this shot again. So uh, we're, we're starting to close in on our time a little bit, but uh, I would love for you to give us uh, just a little synopsis of the welder. Oh, definitely. Um, Elisa, she's a young Latina who is going through some kind of stressful situation at the moment. And it's starting to affect her relationship with her African-American boyfriend, Ro, who suggests they should take a trip to sort of help relieve her anxieties. And uh, so they go to this farm sort of in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, these stories, they never end well when you go to the middle of nowhere (laughs) and you're isolated. (laughs) And so the movie then is about this couple trying to elude a doctor who is bent on curing racism um, and has chosen them as his uh, victims in in his pursuits. So that's kind of like a terrible summary, but um, at the same time, I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like the, uh, and like for our listeners right now, like it is, what he just said though mm-hmm. like it, it is a doctor that is trying to cure the world of racism yeah. that's right that's right yeah through doctorly things <laughs> through doctorly things yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh what do you think kind of sets this movie apart uh from a lot of other movies that are out there well i think the welder is a film that is 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 not what you would expect i think that you watch the trailer and you see the poster and you think, well, this might be just like your run-of-the-mill type horror film or whatever. But then when you watch it, you realize it's it's quite different. Um, it's a slow burn uh, film uh, uh, that is similar in a lot of ways in the style that you would see like in the slow burn films of the 70s and 80s horror films of that of that period definitely a fan of that period of filmmaking and I, I i tried to emulate that um in with the welder so the payoffs are bigger because of that and um you're not gonna get the uh the uh um i don't know like the shallow character development or or the jump scares or any of that that you would see which by the way 
I love all that stuff. I just, <laughs> I just didn't want to do that. Like for my film, I wanted to, you know, tell a, a horror film that was a, a little bit different than what you would expect. And then obviously the concept is kind of crazy. Uh, definitely, hundred percent. The concept <laughs> is the main thing that sets this apart. There is, there are some movies that sort of like tinker with this kind of thing, but at the same time, nothing this like like this. So I'm sure when audiences watch this film, they're gonna be surprised. They're gonna be like, man, I'm that, that's kind of crazy. Like I'm surprised <laughs> that nobody's made a film about that before. <laughs> like I don't know. Maybe it's a little too radical, but. Well, I mean, even before we started the this episode, I literally just asked you, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, me and Manny, my co-writer, we were just like, what did we just write? Yeah. I mean, are people like, going to, like, <laughs> want to, like, hunt us down or something? I, like, if we do. I had a friend tell me, David, don't make this movie. You're going to ruin your entire career. And I said... I love this concept. I don't care. I love it. I think it's great. Like I, it's, it's, it's somebody tells you to do that. You're not to do that. You have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly that was my thought, Eric. I was like, thank you. Thank you for telling me that because now I know I have to make this film. hundred percent. Yeah. That was all the validation yeah. uh-huh. you needed. <laughs> yes. 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 Absolutely. Well, no, come on, man. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. I'm eternally uh, uh, insecure. I need m- much more validation than that. Yeah. <laughs> That's real same. Yeah. I get nervous when people don't laugh back. You know what I mean? Like I feel it. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. I'd hate to be a stand-up comedian and like just have like my jokes fall flat every single time. Like, oh, terrible. Well, no. luckily they don't have to see us most of the time. It's really just on Spotify mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. But they're still yeah. not laughing at me, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're laughing at us. Yeah. <laughs> as long as laughed, laughing sounds are coming out of their bodies, we're good. We're good. This idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, David, tell us a little bit about what the availability is going to look like for The Welder. How can people see this awesome fucking original movie? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um for sure, like, folks, if you want to watch The Welder, you're going to have to wait until February 24th, 2023. But luckily, that's right around the corner. The film is about to come out. You're going to be able to watch it on Amazon. You're going to be able to watch it on Tubi and a couple of other uh, platforms that have not been divulged to me yet. Uh, my distributor, Terra Films, is handling all of that and believe it or not there are things about the film movie that i don't even know yet so uh, <laughs> I, and that's kind of like part of the game uh as as the, i'm learning more about distribution you know it's my first time around as a feature filmmaker so distribution is its own beast you know i can make a film i can tell a story i can hold the camera you know i can press record i can edit i edited the film uh however Distribution is a beast all yes, on its yes. own. It's 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 its own thing, its own entity, and I'm I'm so happy somebody else is taking care of that right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, take something off right. the plate. Which remind which me, which means that I am not like fully in the know on every single aspect. But what I do know is that it will be out on Amazon and on Tubi, which I'm so excited for, and it will be available on the 24th of February. Awesome. I'm so excited for people to be able to watch this movie. Uh, yeah. I want to thank you for 
first of all, giving it to us to yeah. watch because that was like speaking yeah. of validation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, man, I, like I was just so happy that you guys were interested in having me on and allowing me to talk about the welder. And, um, and, and, and I'm glad you guys loved it. That was, that's, that's, uh, that just makes me happy and so incredibly thankful to you guys for really, uh, really am, uh, just being on here and you guys allowing me to ramble for an hour and a half is, uh, literally uh, a dream come true. So thank you guys. Well, for anybody who would like to hear a little bit more of the ramblings, don't forget our Patreon exclusive episode will be coming out on the same day as this. So we'll have that out on Wednesday. Uh, so make sure you guys are checking it out. Again, it's $3 a month. There's other tiers. I'm not going to talk your ear off about it, but it's, you know. The plugger got to plug. Yeah, it, the pl- <laughs> pluggers be plugging. And I got to tell you, it's cheaper for our Patreon for a month than it is for a gallon of gas. So entertainment, a gallon of gas. I don't know what to tell you. Um, David, thank you again so much for fucking joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. Guys, John, Eric, thank you. I, re- I appreciate you guys. And I hope that... Um, maybe we can do a follow-up episode when the film has been out and we can Absolutely. actually give spoilers and like, you know, really talk about the film the <laughs> way it was intended to be talked about with like, no, no, like holds bars. No, no, nothing. Just like, you know, because yeah, the one that I'm really holding back right now is the scene from SpongeBob with my leg. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the film, you'll know what he's talking about. Exactly. Watch it. Watch it. February 24th. Tubi, Amazon, let's get at it. Thank you guys so much for joining us again on Under the Floorboards where it creaks, it cracks, and we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night.